Ruth chapter 2, beginning in verse 1 and reading the entirety of the chapter. Hear now and pay special attention to God's holy, infallible word. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord. For you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. And when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. <clears throat> and Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. 
So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Thus far the reading of God's word. You may be seated. God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Such a beautiful hymn written by William Cooper. And this hymn is particularly interesting because it communicates to us the struggle of the human experience. The struggle of the human experience to work through the providential hand of God. From the ground zero perspective, which we all have, God's hand of providence often seems mysterious. It's hard for us to follow. It's hard for us to connect all the dots. It's hard for us oftentimes to remedy. William Cooper speaks of this as the human experience where we often look at God's providence and see the clouds of dread. We see the bitterness of the bud. We see a frowning providence. And yet, we know God's goodness. We know that his sovereign will will all be in accordance with who he is. God is working his holy, just, and good ends in all that he does. And so the human experience is to live in that dynamic relationship between the seemingly bitter hand of providence, all the while reminding ourselves that there is a smiling face behind it all, that in those clouds of dread, there is blessings getting ready to pour out and rain over our heads, that in that bitter bud, there is a sweet flower when it comes to full bloom. This is the struggle of Naomi and Ruth. If you recall where we left off last time, working through the lives of these two women, we have seen how they have experienced a bitter providence. Both Naomi and Ruth have lost their husbands. Both Naomi and Ruth have experienced the bankruptcy of Moab. And in the close of chapter 1, They had resolved to press on and follow after the Lord as they had heard that the Lord had indeed visited his people with a barley and wheat harvest back in Bethlehem. So Naomi takes the long journey back, many miles, all by herself, being left without a husband or her two sons, who initially came with her to Moab. And Ruth clings to Naomi, and she resolves to go with her to Bethlehem. But the question is begged at the opening of chapter 2, now what? You see, they've merely returned to Bethlehem. They have reassociated themselves among God's people, but that has hardly fixed the problem. That has hardly mended the hurt, and that has hardly given them all the answers to what it is the Lord is doing in their lives and what it is that they are to do in response. And so what you do when you don't know what to do, and when you remind yourself that you can never understand the secret things of the Lord, you remind yourself that you can and should understand the things he has revealed to us. And so Ruth resolves to do the next right thing. 
to follow the Lord in obedience and to care for her mother-in-law. And this is what we see in the opening of chapter 2, a plan put into place. They live out that plan and they seek the Lord's blessing for whatever results may come. And the beauty of this chapter is that we see for both Naomi and Ruth, her hope is not put to shame. They hope in the Lord, they trust in him, not having all the answers. In chapter 1, they make their way back to Bethlehem, and now we find in chapter 2, their hope is not put to shame. Their hope does not fall on deaf ears, but the Lord comforts his people. We see both the fact that Ruth's hope is not put to shame in verses 1 through 16, as well as Naomi's hope is not put to shame in verses 17 through the end of the chapter. So we'll consider this, cha- this chapter in those two uh, overarching ideas. And so we begin chapter 2 the very same way that the beginning of the book is introduced to us, and that is by character introduction. Uh, the most exciting thing you could possibly think of when it comes to reading is learning about people. And this character introduction is noteworthy because this is the final main character in this book, the man by the name of Boaz. Most of the time when people think about the book of Ruth, they, they tend to just begin as the story seemingly begins in chapter 2, but we've built a firm foundation leading up to this point. And so we understand there's much significance to the fact that Boaz is introduced to us. First and foremost, we spent so much time the very first week dealing with the book of Ruth, talking about the meaning of names of people. Because it seems like everybody's name was either a self-fulfilling prophecy or it was a sense of great irony. You have Elimelech, whose name means my God is king, but he seems to live contrary to that. And he goes and seeks for himself a new land in Moab. He leaves Bethlehem. You have Naomi, whose name means pleasantness, and she experiences the most bitter circumstance that a mother or wife could imagine, losing both your husband and your two sons. Ruth comes alongside Naomi as the comforter, as the one to bring refreshment, as a friend. And so we want to know what does this man's name mean? The only problem is there's so much speculation as to what this man's name means. There's a whole lot of opinions thrown out there. But I want to tell you that we don't have to spend time figuring this out because in this parenthetical statement, as it were, in verse 1, we're told all we need to know about this man named Boaz. And that is this. He's a worthy man. Now, depending on your translation, your Bible might read something like a man of great might, a very wealthy man, a man of nobility, a man of great influence. And all of these things would be true because they all communicate the idea, as the ESV rightly renders it, a worthy man. If you want to get a snapshot of what this looks like, all you need to do is wait till Mother's Day and look around many churches that are going to do what they do every single year and preach a Mother's Day sermon on Proverbs 31, where we find the virtuous woman. Same word. You want to get an idea of what Boaz is like, you can see this excellent woman, this virtuous woman in Proverbs 31, and we get the idea in that passage that she is the whole package. She is, from A to Z, worthy. 
And the same can be said when it comes to Boaz. Boaz is this virtuous man, this worthy man in every regard. He checks all the boxes. And we need to know that because we're going to be introduced to him formally in just a minute. But the author tells us right at the outset kind of this uh, backdrop of information that right now Naomi and Ruth have nowhere on their radars. There's a man here, the same place that they're at, and he's a very worthy man. Not only that, but a relative of Naomi and Ruth by marriage. And so here's the plan. Verse 2, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. She comes to Naomi. She asks permission, as it were. She wants her blessing. Uh, This is what I have in mind. We've just made it back here. We've providentially made it back at the very beginning of the harvest. We haven't missed out. Uh, There's work to do, and this is my plan. I'm going to go and try to find a field that somebody is going to let me glean from. Naomi gives her blessing, go, my daughter, and and do it. And essentially, let the Lord be with you in your efforts. Now, this is remarkable because we consider how Ruth, not listening to the advice of Naomi to just stay in Moab, find another man to marry, Uh, She could have been scot-free, as it were, in terms of physical labor. She would have another husband. He would be out winning the bread for her, and she would have her wifely and eventually motherly duties, but she wouldn't have to be out in the field laboring in the way that she's about to labor. But her decision to stick with Naomi and to care for her now has her caring for an elderly woman at this point, that evidently isn't physically capable of going out and doing this for herself. So Ruth is going out on her behalf, ironically, at Bethlehem, the house of bread, to be a breadwinner, quite literally, for herself and Naomi. That's the plan. In verse 3, we're told that beyond the initial plan to seek bread, seek survival, there's a grand plan happening, an overarching plan Beyond the ground zero, we get the aerial shot of God's hand of providence. And the author writes it in a witty way that she just so happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Now, we don't have to ask, is this a good thing or not? Because we've already been told what we need to know about this man in verse 1. So we automatically know this is a great thing. Great for the best field she could have possibly picked. She just so happened to stumble across this field belonging to this man and not another. And the Lord is choreographing his purposes here and leading her where she needs to go. We're told what we need to know about Boaz, but now we're revealed an interesting point about him in verse 4 by hearing him speak for the first time. And if you want to know case in point of what it means that Boaz is a worthy man, look no further than the first words that are uttered from his mouth. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. I don't know how many of you in your workplace know what it's like to have a boss that is a committed Christian. It seems to be a rare thing. In fact, the problem with working in the world, as it were, is that often uh, we find that our faith is tested and that we're constantly tempted at the workplace to compromise what it is we believe. 
But the workplace looks altogether different when you have a boss uh, who not only claims they are a Christian, but you can see it. It's tangible. You hear it in the way they talk. You hear it in the way they conduct themselves. And here you have Boaz leaving Bethlehem proper, coming out to the job site, out to the field. And the very first thing that we learn about him is this is a God-centered man. Do not throw away the greeting that he gives to his workers. This is the times of the judges when everyone does what is right in his own eyes. And here you have a God-centered man right out of the gate is acknowledging the God from whom all blessings flow. They've just come out of a famine. Now they have a harvest. And he wants to remind himself and his workers, this is what God is doing. This is who we are serving. This is what our lives are to be centered around. God himself, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. You have to imagine this is quite an interesting uh, introduction to such a man. And as Boaz enters in here, he takes notice of this Moabite woman out in the field. And we're told in verse 5 that he goes to a young man who was in charge while he was gone. And he says, who is this young woman? Where did she come from? What's the story here? It's unclear whether he had heard anything about Ruth and Naomi yet or if he had heard but just hadn't seen them since they had returned to Bethlehem. And he's told what happened in verse 6. His servant tells him that Ruth approached him essentially first thing in the morning. She comes up to him and she asks permission, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. Now this is a remarkable point. Ruth has an idea of what the law of the Lord says. In fact, Deuteronomy 24 is a prime example to tell us that the Lord had taken special care to provide for the fatherless, for the sojourner, and for the widow. You see, the idea is that the men would go out and they would harvest the wheat and the barley. And then the reapers would come behind and gather them into bundles. But whatever was left behind, uh, whatever, if a bundle was left or if there was fragments on the ground, uh, the Lord gave specific commands not to go back and do a sweep one more time and get everything, but to leave it all for the sojourner, for the widow, and for the fatherless. So the Lord is caring for the least of these. Ruth understands this. That's why she's out here doing what she's doing. The problem is, in the times of the judges, when everyone does what is right in his own eyes, when there is no regard for God as king, it doesn't much matter what the king has said should be done. Everybody does whatever they please. And so Ruth goes, although she has a twofold right here, she's both a sojourner and a widow, she has a right to do this in the law of God, but still she is dependent upon the good grace of whoever she comes across. Now, this is remarkable for two reasons, because to first deal with Boaz, she had a representative that she had to get through. Now, if this was all left to chance, it wouldn't be too far-fetched to say that this young man could have just sent her along her merry way and said, go find another field. I don't care what the law of the Lord says. Uh, we just came out of a famine. We don't have time to, to deal with uh, giving you all these remnants. Go find another field or he could have assaulted her, or whatever the case may be. And yet this man, the Lord, works on his heart, and he allows her to stay. 
But what about Boaz? What does he think about this? What is his verdict? Well, Boaz has heard enough about Ruth, and he goes and introduces himself to her properly in verse 8. He says this, Now listen, my daughter. Consider that greeting. Here you have a foreigner, and he greets her the very same way that Naomi considers Ruth. This is a family greeting. Right out of the gate, Boaz identifies Ruth not as an alien, not as a sojourner, but part of the family. Listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. So he says, look no further than the field that is before you. Don't worry about where you're going to go tomorrow. Don't worry about what the rest of the day is going to look like. Just focus on this field. Here you are, and I want you to stay here and glean. And not only that, but he gives uh, another blessing in, in verse 9. He says, when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Her response, she's so overcome with joy and gratitude that she falls to the ground. Now, Ruth is not a woman that simply hears somebody say, come drink from the igloo cooler here at the job site and falls down because it's so remarkable to her. But the idea is that this is a gesture of true love and hospitality. If she were a foreigner, he would have said, there's the well, wait till all of us are done, we've got our water, you go out and you get your water from the well yourself. No, he says, look, we've already drawn water from the well, we have all these vessels here, all these water bottles, help yourself. Don't worry about going out and gathering your water, here it is right here, take what you need. This is a gesture of severe kindness, if we could put it that way. That's why Ruth responds, falling to the ground in sheer amazement. And she says this, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? She understands who she is. She understands the geographic separation between herself and Boaz. And she has been met with nothing but kindness and blessing He has provided for her far more than she could have imagined already. And we're just getting started with what he is going to do for her. Why is it that I have found favor in your eyes? It's a fascinating thing because she had already said in in verse 2 quite confidently uh, that she is going to keep going until she finds somebody's favor. Uh, I'm going to press on until I come across a field that somebody graciously allows me to stay at. Now, this is not just a a boastful overconfidence. You can imagine this is her faith and trust in the Lord that he is going to provide. But oftentimes, like us, we seek the Lord's kindness, we pray to him, we ask for his provision, and suddenly, remarkably, he answers our prayers, and we almost don't know what to do with ourselves. We're so awestruck that the Lord might actually be real and this might actually all be true and he might actually care for us. You see, Ruth has responded in a fascinating way when all that happened is the Lord fulfilled what she asked him to do. But we're reminded of how kind God is to us, how oftentimes in our humanity we utter a prayer almost like we're trying to make a half-court shot and we turn around before we even see where the ball goes and suddenly the Lord turns us around and shows us that he has answered our prayers. And we're reminded of his goodness. We're reminded of our lack of faith 
But here is Ruth rejoicing. Boaz tells her why he has found her uh, to be favored, why he has cared for her. The reason is twofold. The first is a historical reason. I know what happened to you. I know the circumstances that led you back here. I know the profound love and care that you have for Naomi. You're not out here just trying to gather for yourself. You're also out here on behalf of Naomi, this elderly widow. You're caring for her. You've decided to do that instead of going your own way. I know the circumstances would have led you here. And I know your own hurt. You are a widow as well. You are experiencing profound loss and sorrow. And he says this. This is a fascinating answer. And I know this. How you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. A fascinating way to describe the circumstances of Ruth's life. And I want to read you a similar circumstance from Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse him who dishonors you. I will curse you, and in and him who dishonors you I will curse. In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now Boaz is a man who knows God's word. Boaz is a man who confesses who God is. He lives out his faith. And Boaz identifies Ruth in a very similar calling to the call of Abraham himself. Like Abraham, you've left your people, you've left your land, and you have gone, like Abraham, to go and have a nation made from you, a great nation. Here is Ruth arriving at that great nation that the Lord has made from Abraham. That blessing that from you all the families of the earth will be blessed, all the nations will be blessed in this great calling, in this great success that I will bring forth in you, Abraham. As that has happened, so Ruth has now made her way and assumed a new identity with the people of God, with that great nation. And Boaz essentially says this, just as Abraham was justified by faith, just as Abraham was brought into the fold, in fact, the fold was made from Abraham and his descendants, so you, Ruth, who have chosen the greater portion, so you, who have denounced the Moabite gods and clung to the God of Israel, so you, Ruth, who have left father and mother and cling to the people of God, so you, Ruth, are welcomed in. You are not a second-class citizen, you are one of us. And that's how he can make a theological interpretation in verse 12. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Beyond the ground zero of caring for Naomi, seeking Bethlehem, harvesting wheat beyond the ground zero, Boaz says, you have chosen the Lord himself 
You are seeking and pursuing the God of Israel, and you will indeed find refuge and comfort under his wings. A beautiful picture of Ruth's adoption. A beautiful picture of what it looks like to be considered part of the fold, part of the family of God. And her response, one more time, I have found favor in your eyes. So she reasserts the fact that she views this whole situation as the Lord's answer to her prayer. The Lord's answer to her putting feet to her faith and seeking to do the next right thing, although she didn't have hardly any answers. The day gets better because the close of the day has Boaz demonstrating the fact that he considers her one of them. He welcomes her to, if you will, wine and dine among them. And she doesn't have a table off in the outskirts somewhere. She's not told to wait outside. She is brought in, sits down among the reapers, and eats. And then, remarkably, he promotes her. He says to his young men, before she was going behind the reapers and gathering what was left over, the fragments, now I want her to be among the reapers themselves, among those who are bundling, let her take whatever she wants. Uh, this is a profound thing because what Boaz has just done is he is saying, I no longer consider you merely under the stipulations of a widow or a sojourner, but you have been promoted and you are allowed to take whatever you want. He tells them, he gives a twofold warning, do not reproach her, do not rebuke her. So he's basically saying, this is what I want to happen Make sure it happens. So he is caring for her very deeply here. We're told in verse 17, at the end of the day, uh, she beats out about an ephah of barley. Now, if you want to know how much that is, look no further than when she makes it back that night to Naomi. And Naomi comes and looks at what Ruth has brought back with her. And she says... The sense is more like this, where in the world did you glean from today? The idea of how much she has gotten here, an ephah of barley, there is argument, of course, like everything when it comes to scholars, but we're talking somewhere in the range of 30 to 50 pounds here. Now, I thought about this because I often will do uh, brick and block work, uh, just side jobs, and so I find myself making a lot of trips to Lowe's. Uh, and uh, I am no better than to do this now, but earlier on, uh, Haley and I would go to Lowe's and maybe wanted to go look at some other things, and we'd go straight to the building materials section. I'd grab that 50-pound you know, bag of mortar, and she would say, do you want to get a cart for that? And, of course, my answer is a young, you know, 20-something-year-old, no, I'm, I'm fine. I'll manage. And so I'm carrying the bag, and then suddenly you realize that the building materials side is over here, the garden side is way over here, and I'm carrying, just for a couple of minutes, that 50-pound bag of mortar, and suddenly I'm looking for a cart. i got to put this thing down. I can't do this. And you think about Ruth, who is essentially like the fisherman whom Jesus said, cast your net on this side, and they're pulling up so much fish that the net's about to break because they can't handle the blessing. Here you have Ruth who is blessed so profoundly that her back probably hurt by the time she made it back to Naomi because she's gotten so much in a day. And Naomi rightly responds, where in the world did you, how did you get this on day one? Did you, did you steal it? Like, what did you do? And she says, 
Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Now, so far, that parenthetical statement about Boaz, the interaction between Ruth and Boaz, is completely off the radar for Naomi. Boaz is nowhere on the radar. So imagine her response, and in fact, we don't have to imagine because we have it. Imagine her response when she says, Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And Ruth says, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Naomi's response, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. This is huge because you can imagine a relative of your husband. You and your husband left. You said we're no longer associating ourselves with these people. We're seeking greener grass in Moab. We're going to try our hand at whatever happens out in Moab. You can imagine the family probably was saying, that's not a great idea. You probably shouldn't do that. It's not a great thing for you to seek something else under these false gods, a pagan nation. And so she's probably wondering, how are my husband's relatives thinking of me at this point? Am I written off? Am I done for? And she hears that the man has considered her and blessed her through Ruth. He has welcomed her back, the prodigal sister-in-law, if you will, um, at least related in some sense by her husband. He has welcomed her back with open arms and blessed her profoundly. This is huge for Naomi because she's thinking about that little message that she heard somehow. Maybe it was overhearing a conversation. We don't know what happened, but somehow in chapter 1 she heard the Lord had visited his people. And facing the music, considering all of that, she decided, even though I am completely bankrupt and broken, I have written myself off from God's people. I know it's the right thing to do to return, and so I'm going to return come what may. And she is now considering that that little nugget of hope in the midst of all of her suffering has not been put to shame. Ruth's hope has not been put to shame, and now Naomi's hope has not been put to shame. We could say in a manner of speaking that what she says next is somewhat wishful thinking. Because Naomi, who said, call me bitter, my life is essentially bitterness and nothing more, has now been revived. She's now been comforted. And her faith is elevated to such a place that you know what it's like as a Christian when the Lord continually reveals himself to you and you have like affirmation after affirmation of the way that you're living your life and how God seems to be working in a profound way, and suddenly you start, spiritually speaking, spinning your wheels and dreaming what could be. And you're full of comfort, you're full of assurance. And that's the kind of thing we see happening with Naomi. Suddenly, all of the ideas that she had of what it would be like when she returned had been put to rest by the Lord ministering to her from the acceptance and love of Boaz. And suddenly she's dreaming, she's thinking, she's thinking, this man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Now, the law for redeemers 
was that those who cared for the widows of Israel, if that widow didn't have a son or daughters, if they didn't have any children with their deceased husband, that a redeemer would come alongside, uh, would perpetuate the family name, would care for her, would bring her in, assume all the responsibilities that were left after that husband had deceased. And that's why Naomi says this to Ruth and not about herself. Because we can imagine, mathematically speaking, Naomi is probably closer in age uh, than Ruth is to Boaz. But Naomi is looking immediately by faith to how God might be caring for Ruth above and beyond what she thought. Remember, back in chapter 1, she said, if you go with me, you're basically forfeiting any chance you have of a new marriage. Uh, You're leaving behind any dream of a family lineage. They're not going to accept you there. It's better for you here in Moab than to come back here. And now, as God has comforted her and re-enlivened her faith, now she's thinking. We don't know how this is going to play out, and this is really just a segue to chapter 3. But the idea of redemption, the hope of redemption, is within reach. That's the big idea at the close of chapter 2. And so we're told in the close of this chapter, we're told from Ruth that Boaz said, don't worry about going to another field. You're going to stick right here at this field and glean whatever you want all the way until the harvest is through. And Naomi responds, it's good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. Just uh, doubling down on that idea that we are living in this uh, narrative here during the times of the judges. There are a lot of wicked men. There are dogs everywhere and few good men. And she's saying it is really a blessing that the Lord has brought you to this field and that you are under such the authority of a worthy man as Boaz. Because just like she was worried about what would happen to them on the way to Bethlehem, she's saying in a manner of speaking, even here in Bethlehem, there are dogs everywhere. And so she's looking to the Lord and comforting Ruth by what has been allowed. And we're told that this process continued day after day until the harvest was done. She kept close to the young women, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So the story looks a lot different at the close of chapter 2 than what things looked like in chapter 1. Chapter 1 was met with hopelessness. The end of chapter 1 was maybe a little bit of hope, but who knows what to do next. And now suddenly we see the choreography of God working beyond the immediate actions of Ruth and Naomi to bring his good purposes to pass. Suddenly, the bitter bud is beginning to show forth the sweet flower. Suddenly, the dark clouds are beginning to break forth in blessings over their head. Suddenly, the frowning providence is beginning to give way to the smiling face of God. Their hope is not put to shame. What a beautiful picture in chapter 2 of Ruth. And dear friends, I want to remind you that our hope as Christians is not put to shame. Many of you 
like Ruth, have been called out from an unbelieving family to belong to God. Consider how God has gone above and beyond all of the human disqualifications uh, that have kept perhaps multi-generations of your family uh, from ever wanting anything to do with the Lord, and he has called you out of that to belong to him. Some of you are prodigal sons and daughters, like Naomi, that the Lord has graciously called back into the fold. Dear friends, our hope is not put to shame. God has, just like Ruth, adopted us into his family. God has made us one of his own. God has given us right to all the privileges of what it means to be the sons and daughters of God. And he has done this in our hope of a redeemer, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who has redeemed us from our bankruptcy. The dead-end reality, like Naomi and Ruth felt in chapter 1. They had disqualified themselves at every turn. They had nothing to look at in and of themselves. And just like them, the Lord has graciously redeemed us from our poverty. And he has called us to belong to a royal line as we'll see in that of Boaz later in chapter 3. But friends, these bits of good news regarding us, whether you're a prodigal son or daughter that the Lord has brought into the fold, or you are a sojourner that the Lord has counted among his people like Ruth, this should motivate us to prayer. Because, dear friends, there are many more Ruths and Naomis out there. Perhaps you and your own family have prodigal sons and daughters. Let us think of the fact that the Lord was pleased to bring the wandering sheep back into his fold. If he's willing to do it here, we may pray and trust that he's willing to do it yet again. This should motivate us to prayer. This should remind us that our hope is not put to shame. And dear friends, when we are burdened from the frown of providence, from the bitter bud, from the dark clouds. Let us remember that the Lord has given us his spirit to testify both to our adoption and our redemption. The Lord has sent forth the spirit of his son crying in our hearts, Abba, Father. The Lord reminds us in and by his spirit that he has made us part of his heavenly family. The Lord reminds us as he gives us his spirit that that is the down payment. That is the down payment of his bridal price, if you will. We belong to Jesus Christ and he has vouchsafed us by giving us of his spirit to remind us as we're under the preaching of the word, as we partake of the Lord's Supper, to remind us that we are his and our hope in Christ is not put to shame. Amen. Let's pray.